Tired of blogs? <laughs> Me too. Moby Lives Radio starts now. the intergalactic headquarters of Melville House Publishing in Hoboken, New Jersey, aka the left bank of New York City, it's Moby Lives Radio. Greetings, Earthlings. It's Friday, the 16th day of December in 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson. On today's show, we're talking independent bookstores. I'll be talking to Rick Simonson of the great Elliott Bay Book Company in Seattle, Washington, and our Chicago correspondent, Jessa Crispin, will be reporting on her favorite bookstore in the Windy City. It's a gay and lesbian shop that's bucking the national trend that's seen lots of gay and lesbian shops going under lately. We'll also be getting the UK report from our correspondent, Mark Thwaite, the proprietor of ReadySteadyBook.com, and we'll be reading your letters to the editor. But first... Here's some news from the book world. Well, remember the mystery and complaining about how the federal government granted early publication rights to the 9-11 Commission report to Norton, cutting other publishers out of the deal and ignoring the fact that the reports, and therefore the proceeds, belong to the American people? Well, the federal government announced another mysterious book deal yesterday with an even bigger, bigger publisher, in fact with the world's largest publisher, National Endowment for the Arts head Dana Joya announced that Above and Beyond, a collection of poetry, fiction, and nonfiction by U.S. soldiers and their families about the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, would be published by Random House, a division of German media conglomerate Bertelsmann. The contents were all written in workshops organized by the government and taught by writers such as Tom Clancy, Tobias Wolf, and Mark Bowden, According to an Associated Press Wire story by Hillel Atali, NEA chairman Joya says Random was selected from four finalists, although he didn't say who the other finalists were. As to why Random got the job, quote, we felt that Random House had a deep commitment to this book, was Joya's explanation. Random House announced it would donate its bid to the Southern Arts Foundation, a group hired by the NEA to administer the program under which the book was written, the world's biggest publisher didn't say how big that bid was, however, and neither it nor the NEA explained whether the people of the United States would be paid a fair royalty or would be basically stiffed, as in the 9-11 Commission deal with Norton. The trial of Orhan Pamuk gets underway in Turkey today. Pamuk, the best-selling author known for his novel My Name is Red, stands to go to prison for up to three years if found guilty of insulting Turkishness for telling a Swiss magazine that most people in Turkey were afraid to talk about the Armenian Holocaust. But high-ranking members of the European Union are warning that the trial is a litmus test for Turkey's entry into the EU. Quote, it is not Orhan Pamuk who will stand trial tomorrow, but Turkey, said Ali Ren head of the EU's Enlargement Committee, which is the committee overseeing Turkey's application to the EU. According to a Reuters wire story, Wren's statement, which was seen as unusually strong, 
continued, quote, the trial of a novelist who expresses a nonviolent opinion cast a shadow over the accession negotiations between Turkey and the EU, close quote. Although the Turkish court, where the trial is slated to take place earlier this week, referred the case back to the Ministry of Justice, saying it didn't have the authority to hear the case, it now appears the trial will get underway after all today in Ankara. Well, two weeks ago, Mobiliz Radio reported on what seemed to be an attempt by Judith Reagan, head of the HarperCollins imprint Reagan Books, to smear an employee who had dared to quit her employee. You may recall that after Reagan Books publicity director Paul Crichton left the company, his replacement, Paula Conway, told the New York Post page six gossip column that Crichton had been under investigation by HarperCollins for some obscure fiscal shenanigans involving his budget. She said he'd cleared out his desk and disappeared as if he were on the run. But then HarperCollins execs denied Reagan's story, prompting other gossip columnists to call the charges by Conway and Reagan a smear. Now, Crichton has emerged from seclusion, and Anna Weinberg of the Book Standard reports he isn't talking. Crichton tells her he signed a non-disclosure and he can't talk about the contretemps with Reagan. Meanwhile, he's taken an interim job filling in for the publicist at Simon Spotlights, who's on maternity leave. Quote, I don't hold anything against Reagan, he tells Weinberg. I value the time and experiences I had as director of publicity at Reagan Books. I just felt it was time for me to move on. Close quote. No word on whether he had to sign a non-disclosure before signing on with Simon Spotlight's head, Reagan wannabe Jen Bergstrom. Best-selling author and guru to the stars, Deepak Chopra, has reportedly been given a six-figure advance to write his interpretation of the Kama Sutra, the ancient handbook on tantric sex. It's also being reported, with a complete lack of irony, that the publisher will be virgin, as in the Richard Branson Company. The Hindustan Times says Chopra, guru to such sexual icons as Elizabeth Taylor and Michael Jackson, quote, believes that there is a great connection between sexuality and spirituality. He wants to explore that and take the carnal experience to new heights of spiritual ecstasy, close quote. Well, who doesn't? Finally in the news, it's the question of the moment. If just anyone can write for Wikipedia... How accurate can it be? Well, now a study comparing the Internet Encyclopedia to the Encyclopedia Britannica says pretty accurate. The investigation by Nature magazine is the first to use peer review to examine each publication's coverage of science. The results? Numerous errors in both encyclopedias, says Nature's report on the study, but among 42 entries tested, the difference in accuracy was not particularly great. The average science entry in Wikipedia contained around four inaccuracies. In, Brit in Britannica, there were about three. In fact, quote, people will find it shocking to see how many errors there are in the Britannica, said one of the panel's experts. Nature's report says the kind of high-profile mistakes on Wikipedia highlighted in the news lately are, quote, the exception rather than the rule, close quote. Among those exceptions was the case of John Siegenthaler, the former Robert F. Kennedy assistant described on Wikipedia as being implicated in Kennedy's murder. And then there was the case of podcasting pioneer Adam Curry, 
who was caught deleting references to competitive podcasts from Wikipedia's entry on podcasting, which must explain why Moby Liz Radio was absent from that entry. And that's the news for Friday, the 16th of December, 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson. It's December 16th, and on this day in literary history in 1899, the actor, playwright, author, and composer Noel Coward was born in Teddington, a London suburb, just in time for Christmas, which accounts for his first name. Credited as the person who invented the 20s, he was acclaimed as one of the bright young things, a generation of young writers and artists who brought an urbane, world-weary take to the post-World War I scene. Coward was not only author, but composer, lyricist, director, and star of many of his productions. His first smash hit was the daring comedy, The Vortex, which he wrote and starred in at the age of 23. Controversy surrounding The Vortex, with its veiled references to drugs and homosexuality, made him an overnight sensation on both sides of the Atlantic. Coward's satiric humor and gift for witty dialogue were highly prized, and there followed a string of fabulously popular comedies, including Hay Fever and Easy Virtue. Quote, success took me to her bosom like a maternal boa constrictor, Coward said, and indeed, while his work rode great waves of popularity, there were also great troughs of bad press. But in his great successes, like the plays Private Lives and Blythe Spirit, he set trends in New York, Hollywood, and all the European capitals where chic circles imitated his caustic criticisms and his languid, polished urbanity. His sparkling comedies brimming with satire, witty repartee, and sexual tension were, for audiences at the time, the epitome of the modern emancipated age. Coward was incredibly prolific, writing collections of poetry, several volumes of short stories, and his deliciously infamous autobiography, present indicative, future indefinite, where in just three volumes he encapsulated an entire generation of literary and theatrical gossip, personalities, and bun mots. Yet, ever the craftsman, Coward always adhered closely to his own advice. Consider the public, he once said. Never fear it or despise it. Coax it, charm it, interest it, stimulate it, shock it now and then if you must. Make it laugh, make it cry, but never Never, never bore the living hell out of it. I'm Valerie Marians, and that's this day in literary history. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. You got to know you a chicken. I know my chicken. This is Mark Thwaite, the UK correspondent for Moby Lives, a managing editor of ReadySteadyBook.com. The book news here in the UK this week has been dominated by the Ottakers and Waterson story, a story that Dennis has gone through in the main news. Essentially, Waterstones, owned by the HMB Group and the biggest bookseller in the UK, have att- are attempting to take over the second biggest bookseller in the UK, Ottakers, 
for £95 million. This has been referred to the Competition Commission and at the moment the bid has been prevented. But Otica's share price is going through the floor and Waterstones are a very big chain with a lot of money and they really do seem to want to take Otica's over despite the fact that an awful lot of book lovers in the UK have written letters of complaint to try and stop this from happening. So watch this space, but I think it's fairly likely that Waterstones will be able to go ahead with the bid and they will take them over uh, once they've got through the competition commission hoops. Moving on to some other news, a girl of 10 has won a book deal on how to survive her parents' divorce. Libby Reese um, wrote a list of things that helped make sense of what was going on when her parents were getting a divorce and the result was a 60-page book called Help, Hope and Happiness published by the Alt Beer Publishing House based in Inverness in the north of Scotland. She was out walking with her mum and she said to her mum that every time she threw a stick for the dog she was throwing away something that irritated her. Her mum told her to write down the thought, capture it, and so she did. Um, sent off um, a pricey of her book to a number of publishers. Alt Beer got back to her the next day and hey presto, her book Hope, Help, Help, Hope and Happiness will be published Imminently, the top 10 guide in the book to, um, to getting through a separation is take a break. Try to find some time to be alone. Enjoy a favourite film or book. Think of some funny phrases. Do some positive thinking. Find something that you fear and try to overcome it. Have a night that you thank God for. Review your week. Look back over your week and see what you've done well. Let it all out. Find a place where you can be alone. Let it all out. Scream, shout and stamp your feet. And I think we all need a place where we can do that. The biggest literary festival in the UK is the literary festival based at Hay on Wye. Hay on Wye, a small market town based by the Welsh border, which is entirely dominated by bookshops. There's a few other shops there, but the hundreds of shops that are there are mostly bookshops. It's a fantastic and very odd place, and certainly worth you visiting. Hay on Wye was once described by Bill Clinton as the Woodstock of the Mind, and it's decided to host an international book and arts festival in Cartagena de Indias next month, with the Colombian writer Gabriela Garcia Marquez as guest of honour. Richard and Judy have announced this year's book titles. Uh, for American listeners, Richard and Judy are probably a bit of an unknown to you. Um, they're a TV couple, a daytime TV couple, that have had um, an awful lot of success over the past couple of years. And um, fairly recently, they decided, I think this was about a, a year ago now, they decided to launch their book club. And there's ten books um, that they would read um, over a ten-week period with their viewers. And... Getting on that list has now become the well, the, the way to sell books in the UK. Um, winning the Booker Prize or winning the Whitbread Prize. And of course the Whitbread Prize no longer to be called the Whitbread Prize, we don't think. Um, maybe, the, maybe the Pizza Prize, they're going to call it, or something daft like that. Because Whitbread own a number of other brands. And the Whitbread brand itself is, is, is dead in the water. So they're thinking of shifting brand names. But whether it's the Booker or the Whitbread, it doesn't matter. If you win that you don't sell nearly as many books as you do if you're on Richard and Judy's list. And they've just announced this year's list, which in full is Arthur and George by Julian Barnes, The Farm by Richard Benson, March by Geraldine Brooks, The Lincoln Lawyer by Michael Connolly, The Conjurer's Bird by Martin Davis, The History of Love by Nicole Krauss, 
Empress Orchid by An Chi Min, Labyrinth by Kate Moss, The Lost, Lost Art of Keeping Secrets by Eva Rice, and Moondust by Andrew Smith. So that's the list, and the Richard and Judy list always tries to have a few few books that they consider to be kind of um, fairly decent literary fiction. So I suspect Arthur and George by Julie, Julian Barnes is the, is the title that they're pushing there as being the, the literary fiction title. Um, quite a middle-brow selection, but um, it does do them very well, and Richard and, Bo- Richard and Judy's book club titles always sell in, in absolute piles. So that's the UK book news, um, and I'll speak to you very soon. Take care. Bye-bye now. Jessa Crispin is on the line from Chicago. Jessa, the proprietor of Bookslut.com. Jessa, welcome back to Mobiliz Radio. Yep. Our Chicago correspondent. Um, it's the 25th anniversary of one of Chicago's best bookstores, the Unabridged Bookshop. Mm-hmm. And Jessa, I happen to know that this is one of your favorite bookstores in Chicago. What's so special about it? They are perhaps... Now, Unabridged is not a very large bookstore, um, certainly not as large as any of the chain bookstores or the, uh, or even some of the other independents, but they have perhaps the best selection in Chicago, and they have the best employees, and most importantly, they have uh, a remaindered room, basically, where they have absolutely fantastic remaindered book selection, so hardbacks for about $6, and you just can't resist. Well, as, as a publisher, I actually, I, I can resist, but it sounds like there are other things there that, that might attract me. Um, uh, what, first of all, you mentioned the staff. This is something that people always hold against chains and, and, and cite for independence. Uh, but is, is there a reason that the staff in, in an independent bookstore like on a bridge might be better than, um, or just more attuned and friendlier than another chain bookstores? Absolutely. Um, but the situation at Unabridged is even different from the other independents in Chicago because Unabridged has a very sort of old-fashioned way of managing their bookstore, which is to pay their employees well, make them all full-time employees, uh, offer good benefits. Mm-hmm. So every time you go in the store, it's the same people. They remember your name, they remember what you like, and they're always there. Mm-hmm. So. It's absolutely fantastic. It's the idea of the independent bookstore that so often doesn't actually happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the other thing about Unbridged is it's a gay and lesbian store, is it not? Yes, it is. And at, at a time when many gay and lesbian bookshops in America are, are suffering. I know here in New York we've lost a couple of prominent ones in recent years. Um, how, how, is, how is Unabridged surviving? Well, they're, in, they're located in Boys Town, which is uh, one of the larger gay neighborhoods mm-hmm. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, they survive by not being only a gay and lesbian bookstore. Uh-huh. And they're, um, 
they're known for their selection. It's absolutely um, comprehensive. Mm -hmm. And you can actually, from the children's section, you can actually see the gay porn section of, of the bookstore, which is also one of my favorite things about the store. Um, <laughs> but primarily by, they survive by having a very large selection. I mean, uh -huh. it's just, it specializes in gay and lesbian, but you also can get any other thing you want while you're there. So you can walk in there and just get whatever the hot new novel is. Absolutely. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And what is the store itself like? I mean, if they've got the, the children's section next to the gay porn section, uh, there could be uh, uh, store design issues here. <laughs> no, it was fantastic. Uh -huh. uh, no, it, it's very well laid out. The, uh, the literature section is especially browse-happy. Um, and the, uh, they have a downstairs area now, uh -huh. which they didn't have recently, uh -huh. uh, which is slowly filling up. And... Um, they they have basically like two storefronts. Mm -hmm. They have they have a coffee shop and all those bookstore things. No, they don't. They they really are just sort of an old fashioned bookstore that hasn't been updated. And um, you know, thank goodness for that because um, I think they're the better for it. Uh huh. So this is this is kind of like a friendly neighborhood place. Yes. It's like absolutely. the local bar. When you walk in there, the whole staff looks up and says, "Hi, Jessa." Yes, actually, they do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that sounds like a good bookstore to me. Yeah. Um, and uh, who who owns the store? Is it independently owned? I mean, uh, um, do Ed, they own other stores, or, or who's behind the store? Um, Ed Devereaux owns it, and mm -hmm. he's owned it from the very beginning, mm -hmm. since it opened 25 years ago. He's been there for um, 25 years. And it's only one location. They're not one of the uh, independent chains, I suppose you could uh -huh. call them, that uh -huh. they have here in Chicago. Uh -huh. um, so, and, and once again, they're located... Uh, whereabouts in town? Um, in Boys Town. Mm -hmm. um, Which is what part of Chicago is that? Uh, it's um, around Belmont and Broadway. It's uh -huh. sort of around Wrigleyville. Uh huh. Okay. So what's what else is there to be said about this store that's celebrating 25 years, which is quite an accomplishment for any any independent bookstore nowadays, and especially so for a gay and lesbian shop. Um, especially sh so, I would I would think for one that's also got a full time staff getting uh, regular salary and wages. Um, what what else are they doing right there that we need to tell people about? They treat their customers very very well, and uh -huh. th it's all about the books there. Uh -huh. It's not about the coffee. It's not about sort of uh, whatever hip fad thing is going on. It yeah. really is about the books. How do, how does how does shopping there compare to shopping at a chain. If you walk into any chain, and even a lot of large independents nowadays, there's a certain kind of required setup. There are some bestseller tables, there are some specialized tables like a current events table or a new and paperback table. Um, there's maybe a magazine rack nearby. Um, if they're selling non-book items like uh, Godiva chocolates or calendars, they're all you know, right there when you walk in. What's it like right there when you walk into to Unabridged? Uh, as soon as you walk in, it's the new releases and then the recommended releases. Uh -huh. And then they'll usually have a wall. Um, like recently I went in and they had all their books by the New York Review Books Press, uh -huh. their reprints. They um, like those books. And then had them all at discount. Uh -huh. and, and so that display changes and it's usually, you know, 
a fantastic public independent publisher that they're uh-huh. highlighting. And they are and they are discounting books as well. Um, they do for when they're on the uh, the monthly display that they have. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Well, the Unabridged Bookshop in in Chicago in Wrigleyville in Boys Town, Chicago. Jessica Crispin, the book slut, thanks very much for coming on and telling us about it. Absolutely. We'll check back with you. got Rick Simmonson of the Elliott Bay Book Company in Seattle on the line. Rick, welcome to Moby Lives Radio. Thank you, Dennis. And um, first of all, let's tell people about the store a little bit for, for people who haven't been in Seattle and seen your mm-hmm. store. How, how would you describe it to people? Um, it's a, I mean, it's, uh, in some ways it's partly defined by its um, physical location it's, it, because it's named after a bay. Um, and I think of this part because we're talking, you, you, you keep Moby Dick somewhere in your, in your, uh, <laughs> uh, in what you're doing. Um, and we're, you know, a block away from the water and we're at sea level and we're, um, the smell of the sea wafts in, um, and uh, I always feel like I'm in a ship when I'm there because well, it's, all this it's a wooden, wooden yeah, yeah. It's, it's defined by, uh, um, sort of it's creaky wooden, woodenness, uh, there's wooden floors mm-hmm. and cedar shelves and, and the old brick walls, actually, which uh, the bricks came over from China once upon a time uh, as ballast in ships that took took lumber back. Uh, so it's a store that um, has been around for a little over 30 years. Um, start is one of the, was of a generation of, of independent stores that started more or less in that time. That um, pretty much started small and on the impulses and passions of the people that started them, and um, some never did you know some some didn't make it some kept going and the ones like us that kept going usually grew organically and in, in our case we've gone through some transitions um, of people and all but still kind of holding to some general things that we did when when it started um, and it's gone places no one would have thought in terms of getting larger and and carrying a range of books that um, you know probably weren't part of the uh, the average bookstore uh, in the early 1970s. Well, it, it is a pretty large store, surprisingly so. It's several rooms, and it's kind of deceptive how big it is. Yeah. But would you say that there's any uh, particular areas that, that you specialize in there? Well, I mean, we because of where we are, we actually take a wide spectrum, of, wide, a quite wide spectrum of people, from um, people who live here in the city to, and we're in a downtown neighborhood uh, where we get, but we do get out-of-town tourists and visitors, uh, we get people on their way to sports events because we're near, you know, baseball people do read books, but I wouldn't say football people do. <laughs> uh, but you get the range, you know, you get a whole range of people. And actually, some of the city's um, traditional ethnic communities, neighborhoods are even near, near, you know, near proximity too. So it's it's a, it's it's that. And then um, within the store, I would say it's it, certainly regional titles, literary titles, literature, um, but history, political. Books, food, books on food. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of them because I think people in this area of the country have have saying this very generally, um, you know, pretty strong feelings about a lot of things like that. Actually, travel is a big one too. We're we're in a funny corner of the country, and um, part of it is people like to get away. Uh, it's a dark, wet part of the country, so there's a lot of real getting away and fantasizing getting away to warmer 
sunnier places. So um, it's a, it's a, it, we carry a wide range of books um, and, sell, and sell them. Um, I'd also say it's aided and abetted by, we have a pretty active um, programming um, thing going on with uh, generally what I would call literary um, readings, um, fiction, poetry, um, sort of literary nonfiction, and some other things as well, political books and things. Well, Elliot, Elliot Bay has the big event usually. I mean, did you, you did the Clinton signing for Seattle, I believe? Yeah, I mean, that was a little unusual in the sense, um, I mean, one of those, we, we do those kind of big, crazy things. Um, that may or may not have come out of his having come by, come and visited once just a shop, um, but um, but we you know most most part and parcel it's mostly uh, you know the local poets or actually we've we, we've sort of avoided even when we began having authors in in the mid '80s it was everything from you know people from elsewhere as this before even New York publishers especially toured authors but uh, we had you know poets based around here but also. Um, uh, I still remember that first round. Uh, be, one of the presses based here, Seal Press, had uh, some sort of a writers traveling around on a grant from Norway, a translation and pub- publication grant. And so we've had international writers here as well. So that's always felt part of, uh, you know, just a sort of vital part of what what happens here. I'd say Seattle as a city has a has a fairly strong interest in the rest of the world, which is reflected in in books, both on travel, but also things like international literature. Well, it's one of America's most diverse cities, I think, so that probably uh, contributes to that interest as well, I would hope. Um, well, let's let's move into what uh, what people are reading and, and buying at Elliott Bay right now, particularly at Christmas. What's what's moving right now? What are the hot uh, books? It's a, it, well, you get everything at this time of year. I mean, the, <laughs> the, I mean gifts, I mean, the odd thing with the whole... Um, um, this time of the, the last weeks of December is it brings people in who a who may not be in that much or come in after books and they almost say this they often come in after books they would maybe someone who comes in all the time after a certain thing but they come in after something else I mean I'll see someone who comes in all the year reading some you know German fiction but suddenly they're in asking about cookbooks or uh-huh. uh, children's titles that I you know like you're it's like oh because they they have little um, more varied um, reasons to be in there. Uh, but it's you know it's so it's going on in that sort of big varied way. It's it's a year a time of year when there's certainly more um, art books and and big um, visual books uh, go into people's hands and and sort of, you know what you call gift books I guess mm-hmm. the uh, coffee table stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean you know suddenly they the, at the rest of the time of year those price tags and all that keep those from going too fast and mm-hmm. those move around a little bit. Um, but certainly other other works of um, you know books are going around. I mean probably the biggest. One, even though on the on the face of it, that doesn't sound like a gift book, is Joan Didion's um, uh, "The Year of Magical Thinking" that um, came out this fall and has been um, certainly a tremendous um, book in terms of going out, which may be a nice thing in the sense that people, you know, a lot of people have had death, or or it's not the book is not just about death, but it's one of those ones that sort of looks in a pretty open-eyed way at, at um, a long marriage or a long relationship and, and then at death. And um, and I think sometimes with all the other glossing over that people do about the holidays, that book actually has some kind of um, refreshing candor about all that that uh, that people feel comfortable in buying and giving. At least I assume it's being given as gifts. It's not just being read. Um, so obviously also having received National Book Award, it gets extra some extra attention. But I think people... It's, it's one of the books that actually word of mouth has already... Um, having its way with, and people, I think, who who read it are getting additional copies for other people. It doesn't seem like a holiday book, though. 
Uh, well, was, I don't know whether this got picked up or not. On, on the on the sort of usual, <laughs> more usual kind of glossy surface of holidays, I'd say no. But on the other side, where people and maybe this is within families feel like it's, you know, or or around people. I mean, you know, more people do have you know illness and death and all going on in their lives than right. than uh, it gets, and that's often part of the disjointedness people feel at the holidays. I mean, there was those kind of you know the cranked out noise to make it feel. Um, cheerful and jolly and and you know people suddenly because it's november december may not automatically feel that way and this book helps kind of um i think address some of that in a way and and uh so that that book is um doing well um another one actually it's it's fu- the, the fiction has been it's been a funny because there's no you know people are looking for the book and there, there's been no no particular titles um that have that have um i would say totally captured people's minds or in a way at least in a way that's been um, discernible. I mean, there's been a sort of a broad pattern. I mean, part of it also, I think, so much of the fiction sort of came out a while ago, um, and I think people are still going back to them. I mean, books like Zadie Smith's On Beauty or, or Amy Tan's um, Saving Fish from Drowning or, mm-hmm. or some others. One that sort of, I think, caught on, and it is and it isn't a surprise um, because it's not a full, what you call full big book, is Garcia Marquez's uh, Memories of My Melancholy Horrors, um, which also too. I mean, it's it's you know people aren't sure what the premise of the book exactly is. Right. Uh, um, but I although it seems rather evident, doesn't it? <laughs> well, they, they 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 sort of see that, and then they then and and even the sort of Lolita um, premise going on there is. Uh, um, I mean, or at least the on the quick explaining. I mean, I I mean I've told some people. I said, well, here's here is what's going on in the book, and you know if you're giving it to somebody just to know. You know what right. that is or isn't how because right. again some people I, someone was looking at buying that for the, like their secret elf Santa whatever for their office and I thought well you know better be that, cautious yeah something like that may not be as good as someone <laughs> but I know other I know someone else who's bought um, eight copies to give to friends who are all you know they're I mean they're a little bit older and, and I, but actually feeling like that book also you know really in, in a way um, addresses what is to be still alive and still having appetite and desire um and, and the narrator there's 90 i mean i don't know about 90 year olds reading it but um you know i know it's gone to some people in their 70s and 80s who yeah. um someone buying that with them in mind saying hey you know <laughs> um and it's Garcia marquez too so i mean it just helps you also realize that you know masterful writing at work well what else is surprising you this season any any other books that you didn't expect to move that are moving uh, I don't, you know, it, I think that one of the things that, I don't know if about surprising, but I think, I do think part of it's, you know, the people that at the store who kind of have their books, they champion, um, but there is a, a, a more than I think people all realize is paperbacks, you know, sell, I mean, so they're not seen as new books because right. they may have come out, I mean, and of course there's paperback originals, but I think in, everyone's trying to do the big picture at the beginning of things, everyone's focusing on the new hardcovers. And so it's you know it's books that have been out a while that keep keep going. Um, uh, it's I can't you know you've got me in one of those hours in the morning in the West Coast where I'm not can't don't have all my <laughs> stuff in front of me, and and it's every day is kind of a blur, and then you get kind of shake it out for a few for a bit, and then go back and jump in again. I could probably give you some other um, versions of this in about six hours. Yeah. Um, but but uh, well, you know. I know when you go into the holiday season, you probably stock up on certain books that you're yeah. you're sure yeah. are going to do well, yeah. the Joan Didion or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, one one year that's been a, one that's been a wonderful. I mean, it's it's um, uh, 
one of the ones that we've had real trouble keeping in um, has been a book um, by local authors, a University of Washington uh, a professor and, and a local artist um, that actually was published by Yale. It's a book on crows and ravens called In the Company of Crows and Ravens. That, uh-huh. That's blown out. I mean, so that, which again goes back to what I was saying before that um, books that have some regional, um, you know, kind of interest and definitely. Crows are definitely part of the local scenery here, uh, <laughs> and, and the book is beautifully done. Uh, Yale did a beautiful job with it. That book has been impossible to keep in, and since it came, um, and that, you know, those, I mean, those are the ones. I mean, part of the process for stores doing all this is you're looking at this stuff usually. Um, and some of the, this year it started earlier. I mean, there were there were the bigger publishers we were making. You know, we were having to look at it back in April and May, and you know, it's hard to wrap your imagination around all that at once. And, w- and what do they do, Rick? They, they they send you a book and say, you better make sure you have this for Christmas, well, or they how do they down, approach they sit down and you go over hundreds of titles, and then they, of course, add to that, not only to the, uh, you're looking at big publishers, you're looking at small publishers. Um, you know, this year there was a, I mentioned that one book on birds, there's been a huge, um, there's been a huge growth in books on birds. Um, and also, you often don't see this until after you've been through this season of sitting down, like about two months of sitting down with people walking in with catalogs, mostly, um, and showing you, telling you what their publishing houses are doing. And then you realize how many people are doing cookbooks, you know, yeah, or even people yeah. who didn't use to do cookbooks yeah. or books on food. I mean, that's become this area. Um, but in this case, there was this funny little subcurrent of books on birds, and they've um, some of them have been doing the, the How to Be a Bad Bird Watcher has been a, a very popular one. <laughs> uh, and uh, also one that came out in the summer that's just kept going, um, the one, The Singing Life of Birds. And there's, you know, The um, Singing Life of Birds. Yeah, so, uh, Donald Krutzma, uh, Houghton Mifflin published mm-hmm. it, and uh, it's, uh, he's, clearly it's got scholarship and passion going behind it, but then it's got a great uh, CD of over about 90 bird songs, um, which is, you know, we play we play in the store. People don't know what's going on, but it's actually it's very. <laughs> and at the same time, they turn around and buy it. It's, so that anyway, comes so, with the book or separate? Yeah, no, with the book. Yeah, uh-huh. they did nice. You know, there's more. You know, little little packages like that going on. That, uh-huh. that uh, there's recently a book of poems by Suhair Hamad, who's out of um, out of Europe. She actually lives in New Jersey, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, a young Palestinian American poet that has a CD in it, um, a book called Zatar Diva. That's doing. That's been. She she came in October and blew the place out and sold a ton of books sold everything we had and we've got books back in and that's selling so and her book comes with a cd of her yeah, reading yeah, the nice, poems? Ni- yeah they did a nice 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 job of that um so every, i mean every year i mean we go through this every year and every year is different i mean uh, you're mentioning her a year ago I, I remember we were totally you could have said it was a sort of a northwest poetry season there was a, the publisher shoemaker and horde was um, had Gary Snyder's uh, last book of poems, which is now in paperback, called Danger on Peaks, mm-hmm. was totally flying. He did one of these huge readings with a thousand people at it. Uh, but they also did a posthumously published book of poems by Robert Soon, the poet who uh-huh. lives up here, and that also was um, selling very well. So I mean, every and you know, every, year to year, these kind of things change. Um, I, I suppose if I were going to go the other way, I'd say that the funny thing is watching some of the books that people based on. Um, what happens one year? Um, I think I think it was a year ago that that the I think it was just last Christmas that we were dealing with that eats shoots eats leaves. shoots and leaves yeah uh, the and book. they come out with a couple other books of hers and the new the new one you know just hasn't I mean it's not the the tricky thing is he almost can't hold it only against the author of the book it's just what happened the what happened the previous year was so uh, you know just it was one of those 
you got a hold of something and ran right. with it. Right, and, right. And so I'd say that's a book we, you know, took too strong a position on in terms of how it's selling. Similarly, and, and I mean, we're, I wouldn't say we got quite so carried away, but I, I remember a year ago that little workman, it was like one of those impulse items, a book called Bad Cats um, just took off. I mean, there's a goofy uh-huh. little book. Uh-huh. And, you know, not so surprisingly, this year we have Bad Dogs. And, right. Uh, and, you know, so that... And hasn't that's not moving as well. It hasn't even matched anywhere near the yeah. previous thing. So you get, you get these things where people, you watch these things happen one year and, and everyone tries to think, oh, I'm going to ride that the next year again. Um, and sometimes it does, and quite yeah. often it doesn't. Yeah. That's part of all the kind of, you know, human variance at work here. What about non-book items? Any Anything that's particularly caught on this year? Ah, uh, we do. Uh, I don't know. We you know we have we don't we have some book lights. We have. I don't. I, I can't think of any um, things. We d- we don't get too far out right. with that. I mean, our our stuff is mostly book related. I mean, it's you know whether it's book dart things or yeah. No, um, I mean you're you're not Barnes and Noble selling the chocolates up front, but um, no. Um, it is. There are some other interesting items there that yeah. are all book related. I just wondered if anything was particularly I, hot. I, I was. I mean, our stuff is. You know, we, you know, we sell our own. You know, Elliott Bay T-shirts probably our best-selling. Um, our own little merchandise stuff like that. But um, not not so much us. I mean, you know, I, I'd say I, I know what you're saying about um, those other stores that sell their stuff. <laughs> um, and and we. I mean, you know, we, we just just always been, but probably both philosophical space. Um, and you know, old curmudgeon stuff about like you know, about how far you get away from books, mm-hmm. anyway, and and also what you know what makes sense. I mean, you can get, uh, I don't know, it's a whole. It's, there's different things that work there, yeah. but you know, and certainly they're nice things to have, and the margins are nice um, with other things. I mean, you know, things like the disappearing civil liberties mug. I guess right. you know, there's little. Oh, actually, the best thing right now have been the probably those um, the newest version of the. Playing cards, the little, the little skewed bush. Uh, the Iraq uh, cards that they used. Yeah, well, these are yeah, but these are like, but the the whole stack is tilted to the right. I mean, it's a it's a whole it's new it's a new the newest version of those. That's been very popular. Um, you know, little little impulse items like the, that. The disappearing civil rights mug. Uh, I, I I think I bought one of those there. Yeah. That's that's yeah. where when you put the coffee in, they, they disappear off. Eventually, the side they of the start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That's a great item. I liked it. Yeah. Um, um, the, what about ca- calendars? Do you guys do calendars? Yeah, we sell them, and and they they do they do fine. I think. I mean, I don't know year to year, you know, where they are. Um, I, it, you know, I mean, uh, there's two parts to that. One is you know what themes every, those calendars have from the, yeah. and that that that's funny because often those are also reflective of what you know comes along works one year and thinks people. Next thing you know, there's a calendar for it the next year, and you know, you know, watching them how long they do or don't carry those yeah. things. Along. Yeah. Um, I, you know, they do pretty well. I, I don't know if it's what it once was. I mean, I, certainly there's a whole lot of other ways. I mean, the people, I don't get into malls a lot, but I know that they have those kiosk things where people sell calendars. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of other ways to get them, and right. all so that. or other that. entities sell them in, in ways too that besides bookstores. But you know, they, they're they're a strong part of this time of year, both. The little, the little uh, engagement types, as well as the wall kind. Well, last question: um, Is it hard to keep things in stock at this time of year? You run out of the Joan Didion say, Can you get more fairly soon, most, or how does it work? Most are um, most. Uh, well, I mean, you know, usually what's not going to be keeping, you know, the, anything that's, um, you know, um, physically uh, 
complicated, you know, big visual books, um, or 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 depending on the publisher, the likely, you know, what's going on with it in a likely way. Um, but no, it uh, we've partly we're blessed out here. Uh, um, there's a locally based uh, wholesaler, uh, the Partners West, which is, I mean, really a you know bookstore people stuff, but um, or publisher stuff. But um, you know they're very good at um, keeping on stuff, and it's a very hard business they're in because they're working on a very thin margin to make right. that work. You right. know, they can't get caught in having too much stuff, but they also serve a whole array of accounts, and we we do a lot of direct buying, most especially most of the year we do because of the margins get prefer to get things from directly from publishers but at this time of year that's there's too much time involved so you're using them much more for re, re and we can get things in the same day so if if they have them so and they they've been you know they they get stuff flown in pretty quickly and regularly when it's that kind of a thing so yeah, yeah. well uh, on the whole is this uh, looking to be a, a good season better worse than last year it feels it feels um about the sa- you know about the same i mean I, i'm it always has to Play out and sort of these odd things of of what hap what falls on what days and yeah. um, it feels feels okay um, yeah. and I, I mean I some part every year I think you know first ten days of December I think it's not happening and yeah. then um, <laughs> and then they rise oh yeah it's not this last year and yeah. almost thirty years for the you know and then you go through this whole loopy crazy thing of the last you know ten days or so and yeah. which we're now emerging into so um, no it feels. Okay um, and good that way. I mean, I you know, I mean, I want to always have mixed feelings about it because you you depend on this a certain way and want things certainly to move out through the store, but then on some other level, you just sort of wonder about the manicness behind it all. Right. And, um, <coughs> and they're usually too wiped out to going through this to you know derive a whole lot of other your own you know personal enjoyment. I mean, I get envious of I know three people leaving on trips for distant places, leaving like this week and. You know, go out of the country and all that, and I'm going. Oh, you know, that would be nice. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm busy there selling them books on going away, or they're yeah. getting their stuff, and I'm going. That's you know, they turn around and ask me where I what I'm doing, and I'm going. Ha, huh. you know, I'm sort of you know, just by those last few days, I'm just crawling home and you know. Well, you'll have to hang out in the travel section, which, as I recall, is a pretty good one. Yeah, you know, thanks. Well, it is a good <laughs> one, but that's that's a little too vicarious at times too. Uh, so I have to, you know. It's, but anyway, no, it's it's fine. You come home and. Read what before I fall asleep and all that kind of stuff. So and and spring will come and all that. So well, I hope you can take your break after the holiday season. And uh, and good luck with the rest of the season. Rick Simonson of Elliott Bay. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Dennis. Time now for your letters to the editor. We heard from Andy Lattes in New York City, who wrote in to comment on my interview of Doug Seibold, the publisher of Agate. We talked about returns in that interview and how disastrous they were to the American book industry. Lattes writes in to say that uh, while the point that the return system must die is central, much more important is that there has to be a return to aggressive recruitment of new booksellers, a la the ABA's Prospective Bookseller Schools program in the 1980s. Only by crowding the market with new aggressive professional booksellers in the thousands can the disastrous collapse now unfolding be reversed. We also heard from a sometime Moby Lives radio contributor, Christopher Allen Waldrop. He's the A librarian at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. He wrote in about my homage to Eugene McCarthy, in which I commented that he 
may have been the only president in the latter half of the 20th century to write poetry. Not so, says Chris Waldrop. He writes in that although Eugene McCarthy may have been the only president or candidate in the last half century or so who wrote poetry, Jimmy Carter is one of the few presidents who wrote poetry or writes poetry in addition to memoirs, nonfiction, and other books. In fact, according to John Malcolm Brennan, who wrote the book Dylan Thomas in America, Carter was also responsible, or partly responsible, for Dylan Thomas getting a stone in the poet's corner of Westminster Abbey. Carter was touring Westminster and asked the guide if Thomas was among the corner's company. According to Brennan, the guide was unfamiliar with Dylan Thomas and thought he was an American poet. Well, I got caught on another mistake by Laura Miller of New York City, also a sometime Mobiliz Radio contributor, um, and as well as a book critic for Salon.com and the New York Times. Laura commented on my story about C.S. Lewis being honored in his hometown of Belfast, Northern Ireland. In that story, I remarked on Lewis converting to Catholicism after... Uh, Inspired to do so by J.R.R.R.R.R.R. Tolkien. Miller writes in that C.S. Lewis never converted to Catholicism. He was an atheist in his youth and then went back to Christianity, but to the Anglican Church. Very high Anglican, but definitely not a Catholic. That would have been beyond the pale given his Ulster upbringing. Laura Miller is right. I was wrong. I went back and checked the Agence France Press article I'd based that report on. It did say that C.S. Lewis was very inspired by the Catholicism of Tolkien, but it didn't say that it turned him into a Catholic himself. My mistake and my apologies. And finally, a letter we got from many people. I'll read the one that came in from Brady Russell. He says, I love Mobiliz Radio. My favorite little outtake is after the day in literary history, but are the lyrics really what I think? I know my chicken, you gotta know your chicken? Well, yes, Brady, that's exactly what they are. And in case you're wondering, the song is Know Your Chicken. It's from a band called Cebu Mata out of the Lower East Side of New York City. And the album is called Viva La Woman. Well, Viva La Writers, thank you for writing in. If you want to write into a letter to the editor of Moby Lives Radio, all you need to do is write to Moby at MobyLives.com to get your letter on the air. Please keep it under a million words. And that's our show for Friday, the 16th of December, 2005. Thanks a million to Rick Simonson of the great Elliott Bay Book Company in Seattle for coming on the show. Thanks, too, to our Chicago correspondent, Jessa Crispin, better known as the proprietor of one of America's great book blogs, bookslut.com. And thanks for our weekly UK report to Mark Thwaite, the managing editor of another great book blog covering the UK scene. That's readysteadybook.com. How many times can you say readysteadybook.com in a row? Try it. It'll keep you entertained for hours. Come back on Monday. We're going to continue our talks with some of America's great independent booksellers. We're going to go to Baltimore to talk to Rachel Wong, the co-owner of Atomic Books. In the meanwhile, thanks to our crew here at Melville House. That's engineer Andrew Steinmetz, Kelly Burdick, Becky Kramer, and publisher Valerie Marians. We'll be back on Monday. Hope you will, too. In the meantime, don't forget, that whale is out there, man. 
Tati Atawazu Bulu. I know my chicken. You got to know you are chicken. 